Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs, and welcome to Warrior Death Show's not quite so live stream of four. Still in lockdown, still in quarantine, you know, recording this after the fact. But it's all good, you know, the show must go on. And funnily enough, that seems to be one of the themes of today's episode of listeners that we'll be covering, but we'll get to that eventually. Uh, as you may know or may not know, I'm Shaden, and joining me from across the pond but close to my is the Soul Doctor. Hello, booze. Welcome. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs, we hope that you're having a, a good time, a safe time. And this week, Shadon, I learned that uh, you are no different from a pushy witch. Because I'm a drunk man in the pub. Because you are a, a ha- man getting hammered at the pub very often. So you, you become a pushy so you, witch. So you're saying that pushy witches have no sense of, like, you know, personal space? I mean, that that's also... the implication that um, that Billen is making, I think. Yeah, I, that was a that was a curious reference. I mean, <laughs> it really was. I don't, I don't know why. I enjoyed it, uh, but I'm not really sure if it's like referring to anything in particular. I mean, man, remember pubs? They were a thing, right? No, <laughs> pubs. No, no, just a dream, just a uh, a just sweet a dream. dream. I mean, did Dice Oh no, like, is there? I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to say, like, you know, between this and yesterday episode three, which we'll be covering later this week, like, some stuff comes out at the most unfortunate time. Let's put it that way. Mm. Yikes. Oh, well. Anyway. <clears throat> so, we're here today to cover listeners episode three. We're going to go through the plot. We're going to go through some talking points and also some patron questions as well. But we also have polls and creatives to discuss. Uh, so, Doc, which one of those do you want to tackle first? Well, no, no creatives because, again, um, the... The resource I rely on, the heretofore reliable Wikipedia, has let me down. So I don't know who's directed or written the episodes. Um, please inform me if there is a an easier way to do it. Um, at times I have tried going to, you know, like when we were watching something, I think Promise Neverland. I tried to go to the Promise Neverland's website and look at the staff and it was just a mess. So that way hasn't really worked for me before. I kind of rely on people to put it in ANN or Wikipedia. Um, so no creatives this time, but but uh, we do have polls. Do you have the polls up? I do not have the polls in front of me, but I can if you... Uh, I can get them if you need me to grab them. Yes, please. I will grab them. Why don't you uh, tell us how you felt about the episode in general? Just a very general, like... Uh, non-spoilery summation of your of your thoughts. Well, to give you the plainest, most vanilla answer possible, it was good. I think that it has some ideas behind it, in particular in terms of like what it means for new artists to be old artists who inspired them, you know, and how there is a mutually beneficial element to that relationship, uh, depending on how it goes. And also it contrasts directly with the previous episode, which was, okay, we met a band, and they were terrible. They treated us like shit. They tried to kill us. I mean, I don't know how many bands you've met, Doc, that have tried to do that to you. I admittedly haven't had that happen to myself. I'm sure it's, it's come about at least once or twice in the past, I can imagine. But now we get to meet an old band who... They're not entirely, immediately, completely buddy buds with uh, Echo and Mew, but they are certainly a much more positive force on their lives than the uh, Nuremberg sisters. Yeah, I've been holding that one in, sorry. <laughs> the new Barson sisters, of course. Um, so yeah, I liked it. I don't think it was good as the previous episode, but I think that in part that is also due to the sequence of like 
quality that I felt uh, for these episodes. So, like, it's hard to rate stuff in a vacuum usually because I thought that episode one, and I still think episode one was kind of. And episode two was much stronger because it felt to me like such a jump, like it felt like it found itself. And so episode three, as a result, like, you know, coming off a strong, like, increase in quality from the episode one, like, it isn't quite there in the same level to me. Like, it's, it's weird, like, you know, it's kind of following an arc, but overall, I did enjoy it. And I'm glad to see, like, you know, that they're going somewhere with the characters and with what they're trying to explore with the themes and also that the whole, you know... Uh, rock aesthetic isn't necessarily just about lip service or just trying to cram in as many Wikipedia references as one can <laughs> fit into an anime. Right. Like, I, I mean, guys, I'm check, cer- check out these sweet references. Like, <laughs> I listened to rock in the 90s. Did you also? <laughs> if you did, yeah. you would know these references. I mean, Dai Sato, I think, wrote this episode with one or two, one of two uh, potential sources to help him out. One of them was the answers to your average British pub quiz. Uh, the music yeah. round specifically, yes. uh, the other being his Spotify playlist, because there are at least two or three references that I spotted uh, to British bands. There's also more information on Echo's amp or equipment that I realized, oh, uh, you know, it's called Vox. What could that possibly mean? Uh, but it turns out that that is actually literally the brand name of an amp manufacturer. And when I get to the point mm. where we reveal the name, I will actually reveal another uh nugget of detail where they've just basically lifted it from real life like it's not even you know like changing the name slightly you know it's like where we have the valentines who are obviously my bloody valentine but they're not called that in this episode no literally it is a thing that exists in real life and you can order it online now if you want to although it won't turn into a giant robot i am so sorry oh oh that's very disappointing one star one star review not not what was promised you know, someone will probably do that. Like, they'll watch listeners and they'll find out that this uh, the amp is a real thing that they can buy. They'll buy it and they'll be like, you know, go up to their girlfriend. Hey, can you plug this in your back? Please? Please? What do you mean it doesn't turn with a giant robot? This isn't what this work of fiction told me. It's bollocks, this. It's bollocks. And then one star Amazon review, verified purchase, goes off to, like, you know, annoy people on Reddit again. All caps. It's like, scam. Do not buy. Sad. Man, disappointing. Um, right. Uh, well, to give a really brief, very quick, like, here's what I thought. Uh, I thought this episode was great. Uh, I liked it as much or more than the last episode for different reasons. Um, I thought this one was very clear and, like, straightforward in terms of, like, what it was trying to do and kind of the arc that it had. And also had um, references that brought me great joy. Uh, which we'll talk about uh, later. And and some really good action. I thought the action here was actually the best it's been so far. Hmm. Well, the fight this time around, like, I'll give credit to, like, the two fights we've had in the past two episodes. Uh, first with the Nuremberg sisters, and yeah, I'll keep referring to Max, fuck it, who cares? Uh, and, of course, with uh, Billin and Gary. Like... It's not... <laughs> It's not ours. It's the Neubalton sisters. No, I, I, I know exactly what it is. I'm just doing this deliberately. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just teasing. I'm just being a prick for the sake of it. Why not? Um, but between also the fight between Kevin, sorry, uh, between Kevin and uh, Billion, and then of course Echo and New, like that actually has a point to it as well. Like it's not just smashy bashy, you know, robot wars nonsense. There's actually meaning to it, which is all I really ask of a fight usually, as a bare minimum. Like that it actually has a point rather than just being you know for 
spectacle or schlock action. So good on the show for doing that, at least. So I have the polls now in front of me. Uh, Here we go. Our episode two polls. Number one. Overall, did you enjoy this episode more than the premiere? Uh, Now that it wasn't required to spend so much time on setup. Uh, The winner is a little with 37.5% of the vote. Um, Hell yes, rocking out got uh, 31%. And then a quarter of you said that uh, they missed this episode because they were at the bar. Which, if you were, fuck you, stay home. Um, (laughs) What if the bar is in their home, though? What if they're like... By bar, they oh, mean, they like, just mean the... they were at their bar downstairs. That's that's fine. That's fine. I I rescind the fuck you. That's please please drink from your own home bar. That's a okay. Poll two. Many people are buying optics at the moment. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Poll two. Did you think the show might be going somewhere with the theme of mindless fandom, both in terms of echo surface level love of players and the lore behind the earless? Uh, 83% say yes. So Sweet. Yeah, they are. Now let's all be wrong together. They're because w- <laughs> you're agreeing with me on one of our polls. This They're is a fatal you. mistake people make agreeing with me on a poll. It turns out always to be wrong. I, Christ, I, I don't... What? I feel better about your theory this week, actually, than last week. I feel like one of the, like, sort of main uh, takeaways of this episode for me was... Uh, what the earless are according to Billen. And her kind of description of them I thought was super rad and interesting and I thought leaves definitely leaves space for your theory to fit into for sure. Sweet. Poltrez. Uh would you take a leak in the spooky toilet in this episode? <laughs> um Eh, I've seen worse, says half the audience. Listen, that's not you didn't answer the question. So as You've been duped. Uh, no, that, that's an answer. That means, like, that's an affirmative statement, in my opinion, of, like, oh, I've seen worse, I can handle it. Oh, uh, that's fair. Okay. Well, but they're both, but they then, then it overlaps with easy peasy. Well, that means they haven't seen a worse toilet, but that, that they could still do it, or they feel they could. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's most of us, then. That's, uh, 62.5%, but the remainder I mean, said I- that they would not. It's like I said on the cast, though. Like I've been, I've been in some spooky bathrooms. I've been in a bathroom that actually flats out, like you know, went biblical. Like, yes, I went building no Noah's Ark in that fucking club. I'll tell you that for free, <laughs> no time. But it was going that way. I once had my class ring stolen from an airport bathroom. Oh, that was no. a sad time. But uh, but later, uh, you know, for for every what's like that was sort of the the bad. The bad uh, side of the coin, the bad experience. But I had another, a positive experience with airport bathrooms to, like, balance it out. Like, I believe, I think it was the bathroom that I, like, I somehow accidentally left, like... Before before you go any further, Dot, like, the lead-ups to this, like, and the fact you don't even necessarily remember if it was the bathroom or not, I can just, I want to just drink in the what I'm thinking people are, like, you know, thinking you were doing. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, mate. <laughs> I think it was the bathroom that I left my iPad in. I left it somewhere in the airport I, that I believe somehow was a bathroom unintentionally, and then someone brought it to me. Um, or they were, like, walking around, and I was looking distressed, and they were like, hey, did you lose this? 
Yes. Oh, thank you. So I would I would make that trade if there were the two objects and you know a magical being were to appear in front of me and be like, okay, you're gonna lose one of these. Which one would you give up? Definitely the class ring. Fuck off. I don't. That's it's fine. I would not even be wearing it now if I still owned it. It's it was a silly kitschy design. I didn't. No. No. Thank you. That's but the 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 iPad. That's that's where I played Grand Blue. You know. That's where I played Fire oh, Emblem. Oh shit! <laughs> uh, you know what? Be, you know what would have even been better then if it turned out that the person who had brought it back had actually got onto your account and just rolled for you and then got like some super rares or something. I mean, that would just be that'd be too much to hope for. I'm not asking for miracles here. Just, I mean, you still want to win the lottery at least once in your life. If you get that business. kind of luck, then you're not getting it again. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to use up all my luck on on the GBF. I'll just just return the ipad and then you know that's just common decency you know no need Mm -hmm. to no need to drain my luck here so uh poll four are the neubauten sisters hamstrung by their obvious near automata inspired character designs or did you find their philosophy slash antagonism interesting in their own right um again i don't think these answers are mutually exclusive yep being is that saying yes that they still found them interesting or y- yes. yes okay okay um so yes they still found them interesting 44% 55% said this cannot continue um yep as in there was there to uh you know too evocative of near automata to be yeah exactly yeah <laughs> that's the thing i mean i you are right in that they can they're not mutually exclusive but like the thing is, like, that can, it can also be the case that, you know, that one is more distracting than the other, you know, like, that the Neros Massing smothers, like, what they're trying to do that's unique with them specifics of this show. That's the thing I was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. So, poll five. Uh, should Echo slash Moo's giant mech be fighting with a guitar and swinging it like a sword? I mean, obviously, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, full Pete Townsend. Got 70% of the vote. Yeah. Um, For those of you who don't know who Pete Soundsend is, by the way, uh, he is from The Who, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And he is one of the first people credited with smashing a guitar on stage. If not the first, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, just just go look up on YouTube, Pete Soundsend, like, smashing a guitar on stage. And just imagine that suit, like, adding, like, you know, action. But instead, it's like Mew and Echo's robot smashing a guitar into an earless or another robot, even. And then you can, I think you'll all agree that this is what this show is missing more than anything right now. I mean, it would be not, it, it would not be a bad thing, I will say. I mean, 20% said it's good as is, and it's fine, but that would not make it, like, that would make it better, the, the guitar. Uh, 10% said a mic stand would be better, which, I mean. <sighs> I'm not going to say no to the Tai Chi reference, but I think I would prefer a guitar. To... Hey, I mean, you've seen Freddie Mercury with a bike stand. He swings that shit. I mean, Sol from Guilty Gear is inspired by Freddie Mercury. Like, that's where a lot of his attack animations are based on. It can work. Oh, I know this. Defini- definitely can work. But would it be superior to a guitar? No, considering no. that guitars often have the uh, nom de guerre of axe, then, well, I'll say no more. 
And those are the polls. Thank you to those who voted. Uh, we'll have episode uh, Trez polls up uh, at some point after this pod goes live. Mm-hmm. All right, then. So let's get on to the plot summary, then. So uh, it's this episode opens uh, in the past. This becomes obvious later on, but it's clear, like, you know, from what's going on that, hey, you know what? Uh, this is when things go terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, so we are introduced to Billin and Kevin, who are not actually named at this point. Uh, Billin comes into their little flying sky ship and notes that he's, you know, getting ready, getting all dressed up. Apparently he's going to be uh, inaugurated. I don't know if that actually means that Kevin, like, who is obviously a My Bloody Valentine XP, uh, is literally British royalty here. I mean, he doesn't look as much of a ponce as the regular royals, so I really can't <laughs> say one way or the other. Um, but yeah, um... I mean, he's also got a crown, and I honestly couldn't help but think of the joke, like, the crown stays on during sex, because why wouldn't you if you've got that? Um, by the way, they are en route to a festival where things will change, and uh, I should note that Kevin is holding a flyer that says that the festival is the No More Earless Festival, which the acronym of which is NME, uh, mm. which is a famous music magazine. So, yes, yeah. there's, pl- there's plenty of stuff going on. I hate the crown design. Like... That sort of, like, it just makes me think of the King of Hearts from the bicycle deck of cards. You know what I mean? That's the entire part. It's it's very classic. That's literally the British royal crown, though. It looks so dumb. (laughs) I just dislike it immensely. If I was, if I were king, it would be my first order of business. Redesign this crown. Fools. Servants. Peons. (laughs) Make it happen. Go go on to Pixiv and find me the best like you know crown <laughs> make designer it edgy. ever. Make it radical. Real make it anime. You know it needs to be lines lewd. hard. Make it sexy. I wanna get hot waifus with this crown. <laughs> Wanna notice me. The Simpies. Something like that. Um so Bill and Kevin are discussing what's going on and she goes outside after hearing a noise, and it turns out that the entire sky, like, around where the fest was being held, has turned a lovely shade of mint green. I know, it probably smells very fresh around there. Uh, but no, there is someone who's decided that the set list for this festival, you know, they're going to tear up and do their own thing, and they're summoning all the A-lists to them. Uh, from Billings' expression, this is not a good thing. I mean, it'd be pretty rock and roll to, you know, say, screw the schedule and all that, but... Her comment that she makes at the end of this little opening flashback uh, is that yes, the day would in the, this day the world would indeed change or something to that effect, and not for the better because that was in the past and we all know what the present's currently like. So whoops. So um, goddamn. We can all assume I think that that was Jimmy Stonefree, right? The yeah, the rogue it, player. It... Um, and so if. If we can kind of go here with the text and say like that this was a an apocalyptic type event, maybe not apocalyptic, but it was a it, the world was not the same anymore after this. He completely changed everything in the course of history. If that's all yeah. true, Shadon, then do we have a case here of Jimmy Eat World? I think we do. I think I think we do. <sighs> <laughs> i'm trying to remember the name of that one song i wanted to drop the gig the one the the one in the middle yes thank you 
Thank you. I, I'm, I'm surprised I was able to answer that. Not because I've never heard it before. I've heard it many times. But I, I that joke just completely and utterly like made my brain divide by zero. <laughs> it was, it that was, was I've not, I've I've not had a perfect. physiological reaction like that before in my entire life, to be quite honest. So that Little was a thing. shady. Um, you're in the middle of the ride, and everything everything I, will be just fine. Everything am... everything will be all right. All right. And you've bitched at me before for quoting Papa Roach <laughs> on this fucking podcast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, one thing I'll note before we move away from the flashback is that, unless I'm mistaken, I think Jimmy's uh, mech is also doing a Vitruvian man pose. Because, <laughs> why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. Okay. I could be wrong on that. But no, hey, we'll go you know. with it. Yep. Uh, so, we cut to the future. Or rather, the present day as far as the events of the show are concerned. And in case you're wondering what was happening last time, uh, the Newbouton sisters, yeah, I got it right that time, uh, they were making life really, really hellish for Echo and Mew. For Mew, they were like, you know, showing her an illusion of her killing Echo. And for Echo, they were making it really hard for him to take a leak. Yeah, I can see, I hope you can all see how these are equivalent. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. The man's suffering too. Okay, we has pro- men have problems too. It's not his pee's been stored in his balls for too long. Okay, it's you, ladies, want to make like you're the ones that have the issues. Look at this. This is yeah. He couldn't pee, man. Whoops, murder. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so uh, now that we've been introduced to Billy, who we don't quite have the name of yet. Um, it turns out that she is actually the one piloting the mech that we saw at the end of the last episode, the uh, centaur-shaped one, which is pretty cool in its own right. Like, I mean, I'm sure that I've seen at least one uh, like mech in some anime somewhere in the past that is not strictly bipedal, but instead is like a, you know, a horse or a centaur or something like that. So this is a neat, different design. I liked it, mm. uh, and she intervenes and starts fighting off the new Barton sisters, uh, including uh, quoting. Uh, Feed me with your kiss, which I think also might be a My Bloody Valentine uh, it lyric. Is. I could mm-hmm. be. It's a yeah. it's a song by them, and I believe oh, I believe it's also the title of one of their EPs or something like that. Not yeah. not an official album title, but it is in addition to being a song, is the title of uh, a release of theirs, I believe. Mm-hmm. So she intervenes and fights them off. Um, they are destroyed, like they just vanish as far as we can. See. I mean, come on, you're not going to have those those three pop up as a one time villain before they get team rocketed come on now blasting off again yep <laughs> uh so she uh notes that uh, echo and mew like you know they're knocked down she says she refers to mew as chelsea girl um, okay which yes yeah go on doc you 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 want to lead into this so i'll let you talk about this now yeah i don't well, know about this one this one it passed over my head so this one is interesting this one is like one of those ones that could be a bunch of different things and i i sort of enjoy all of the possible theories um so the first one that i was able to find was that uh, i think google knew i'd been looking for like vintage like uh sort of canonical alt rock music and like so it, it directed me to um, the first solo album by Nico from the Velvet Underground and Nico, uh, one of the Warhol collective that, uh, you know, was part of like that kind of amazing initial run with Velvet Underground and went on to do her own stuff. Um, 
but yeah, she's got an album called Chelsea Girl. It's it's highly regarded. There's a song Chelsea Girl on it. It's really good. Um, but Chelsea Girl was also the name uh, of a film by Andy Warhol. You know, because and I think this is where sort of she got the name of the album because she was part of that kind of collective before she started doing the things with Velvet Underground. Um, and so it, this movie by Warhol, it features, uh, this hotel where all these famous rock stars and poets and writers live. So mm. it's a place that like houses a collective of lots of different artists. And also, also you'll like this one even more. The Chelsea girls are an all female cover band that covers songs from the all-time greats of rock. That's interesting because we will get a reference to another British band, probably the most famous British band ever, to be quite honest, uh, later when Billing gives a little bit of an exposition talk on what happened with the fest. And, I mean, that band uh, and My Bloody Valentine specifically were definitely not uh, in operation at the same time. So... I think you can add this to the list of evidence of listeners being more of a greatest hits kind of thing when it comes to uh, British rock references, or indeed just rock references in general, where the timeline doesn't strictly matter. It's not, you know, bands from one specific period necessarily. No, no, but no. no. I, but I will get to that a uh, little bit. I thought, so, you'd appreciate, uh, I thought you'd appreciate the deal about the covers, because that was your... That's what we were kind of talking about kind of when we were discussing what in the world is Moo anyway. And her being a clone or her being uh, a replicant, you know, is it feeds into this whole idea of, like, covers of the past greats or some kind that of combination, could... right? Yeah, I mean, in the list of, like, theories I have about this show, um, I'm going to put that down at, the rel- at, like, the close to the bottom because, I mean, her being a clone of, like, say, Jimmy, if it turns out, that turns out to be true... Like, or even Jimmy's daughter. We could go with that, for example. Um, I'm more curious to see what they do with that rather than it just simply being a thing that's just like a... <gasps> My God! You know, that kind of moment. Like, it needs to have some substance to it. So, I'm going to... Oh, yeah, no. Sure. I just think it's a neat idea. The whole, like, incorporating what cover bands are and just sort of acknowledging cover bands as a legitimate kind of thing. Um, in in this way, I think is an interesting move. Hmm. We will find if, out if if it's even yeah. It might not even it might not bear any fruit, right? This is just theorizing. So please continue. All right. So post op, um, we get Echo and Moo waking up in a bedroom, and we have another case of that strain of humor where it's like you know, boy and girl, girl throws something at boy, and. I actually didn't mind this one again so much for one specific reason. This isn't really a big talking pipe, but I'll put it out there now, is that when Echo wakes up, uh, first thing to note is he still has his signed, um, uh, like, <laughs> or whatever it is from, from the new Bound Sisters. Oh, and, I actually, and I actually like that because I like that as, like, a visual metaphor for the fact that what happened with them and the new Bound Sisters still has consequences, but the consequences are very different from the two, and that's indeed a thing later on in this episode so that's a nice uh you know thing to help uh gel that together and secondly like for all that move throws that her uh, echoes clothes in 
She's the one who's been sitting there waiting for, I don't know how long, for him to wake up and been watching him like a hawk. So I'm like, <laughs> that's that's so better, funny. in my opinion, yeah. rather than just simply being the same old thing over and over. So kudos to the show for at least doing a little bit more with this scene than just the usual trope that it normally is. So I'm okay with that. But anyway, anyway, uh, Ech- uh, Mew sorry, goes to see uh, Billin, and this is when we get the exposition talk that explains what happened in the past. There was indeed the festival. Uh, I'll call it a festival, even though it's called a fest, but you and I know. Oh all my know what gosh. Shadon. 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 I, I, yes, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath for this. It just, it just, this just hit me, dude. I don't know why, but this just came to me. Festivals are fests and vice no, versa. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I thought but... you were leading into a joke, but go on. No, no, it's, it's, so, the earless. Do... They have do... ears. Do they have, like, rabbit ears? They look like mice. They are like giant mice to me. Are they long, are they possibly long ears, or are they only... Oh, I need to see. Because it just hit me, the Echo and the Bunnymen reference. We haven't seen the Bunnymen, or at least, but maybe the Earless or the Bunnymen. It just, we're talking about bands, and I was just like, Echo, holy shit, Echo and the Bunnymen. How could I have forgotten about Echo and the Bunnymen? That's gotta be a thing. Has to be a thing. Could be a thing. Uh, Must be a thing. I mean... Yes, but I'm hoping there's more to it than that. The Killing like, Moon. It's possibly. I mean, I, I mean, here's the thing, right, folks? I'll just get this out of the way now. Like, I'm okay with a lot of like fan service in terms of like you know, here's a thing you know, like here's a band reference or something. Like that, but I'm also generally more you know amenable to them actually meaning something rather than just being in there because you happen to look up on Wikipedia or whatever. I mean, now that's admittedly playing down Daisato and the other creatives, like, you know, fondness for the music in general. I mean, I'll be fair, like, you know, that is harsh of me to say. And I don't but, even think it's been that thus far. I would say well, it's been more than no. that. No, but, like, when you're reaching for, like, references like that, where you just go, oh, it's, it's these things, I'm like, oh, okay, so cool, I don't, but, I don't, but would it be reaching? We don't know how they've constructed this puzzle box. Like well, what well if it's, it was an Echo Bunny Man, uh, sorry, Echo and the Bunny Men reference, what does it mean for the show? What does it mean for we, the characters? We haven't seen, or the, is it just a thing? Is just a thing that you and I it, know? We haven't seen it play out yet. I mean, well, we'll find out. That's what I mean. But that's yeah, yeah. that's the distinction I'm making though. Like it needs to be of something of substance rather of course. than just thing you recognize. Of course. Oh, naturally. Yes, but yeah. I don't. I think the shows earn the benefit of the doubt in terms of that. Yeah, I would. I would agree. I would agree. All right, so. They had a festival planned, and this festival uh, was a massive gathering of all of the best players in the world to destroy the Aeolus. So, something to note, the Aeolus existed before the festival was planned. Um, Mm -hmm. So, where they came from, yeah, it's still a bit up in the air. This, by the way, is where we get uh, one of the flashback scenes that references another artist. Um, And you might note there are four people disembarking a plane in this particular um, story from Billing. Who are these four people? Because I recognize this uh, this picture, basically, because it was drawn from a photograph. It's the Beatles. Ooh, cool. I didn't yeah. know that. 
Yep, if nice. you Google Beatles getting off a plane on Google Image <laughs> Search, you will... No, seriously, seriously, Great. it's quite a famous photo. It's quite a famous photograph. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, you, you will see, like, basically the same, um, you know, composition, the same, like, number of people. Like, I mean, they even look like the Beatles. That's what first tripped me, tipped me off to it. So, yeah, so we have the Beatles come in. This is what I was saying before about how, like, we're getting bands from across different time periods because the Beatles had long since, like, stopped playing uh, on account of, like, well... John Lennon being dead. Hello, it's you me. Know. We're gonna, we're gonna get rid of the earless. Come on, good. Grab your drums and your guitar. Let's start playing. The earless ain't gonna go away by themselves, lad. Well, I mean, it's me, the Beatles. You know, if 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 um, you know, if Jimmy Stonefree wasn't gonna be around to like you know do his part for the festival, I get the feeling it would still fail because Paul McCartney would have been spending too much time making like you know vegan meals with his wife. <laughs> To sell to the public. <laughs> Screw you, folks. I'm gonna go play with wings. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> that was a damn go your own way was a damn good song, and I will yeah. hear no Hell yeah. So that's that's entirely fine, you know. At least he didn't duck it like Jimmy did. What's so, the hey. cr- what's the Christmas song? Is it simply having a wonderful but Christmas time? Yeah, Is that the one okay? So good. A wonderful Christmas yeah. time. I think I actually used that in one of our podcasts. I think you did. Yep. Good. Yeah. I don't self no tap for Christmas music or music in general if I can all help it. Unless it's used ironically. But anyway. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, the exhibition talk reveals that Jimmy was meant to indeed, you know, perform at the festival, but didn't. And as a result, the entire thing collapsed. The massive army of Aeolus turned up. Most of the equipment there was destroyed. You could basically take this as fans rioting, you know, against like a player not uh, an actual performer not turning up again. I've seen that kind of firsthand thanks to mm. Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses fucking that up at Download Festival. Nice one, Axel. You will continue to get beef from me throughout this, you know, because <laughs> you're honestly, I've never seen such a pussy whips like person like performing on a main stage at a festival. Like, you also throw bottles. Oh, come on, Axel. You <laughs> That's good. I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> what a morn. So anyway, yeah, exhibition over, like, that's what happened, essentially. And we then cut to Echo uh, trying to fix his broken equipment. Before I forget, unless I'm mistaken, is I think the actual art changes the lettering. There's a robot with, like, little, like, tiny octopus tentacles floating around, uh, which actually yes. has Bill in a coffee cup. And this robot, yes. unless I'm, again, mistaken, has MBV written on it. MBV 91, it- in fact, which is yeah. the year that the perfect album loveless dropped which i will talk about later <laughs> uh, although i was if uh, i noticed that in one of the frames uh, it was actually mev but i think that was just a error in the uh but it's not real thanks a lot in betweeners you fucked it up oh god Anyway, so Echo's trying to fix his amp. Uh, I will note, by the way, one of two things about the amp here and now. First off, I mentioned that it was labelled Vox previously, and I thought, ooh, voice, cool, nice, I get it, that's a nice name. Uh, Vox is actually a brand of British amps. It is one of the most famous brands of British amps that there is. Nice. Uh, So that's not like, you know, them putting Vox on just for the fun of it. Mm Mm-hmm. There's also a second fact about it that I'll note when we get to the name of uh, the equipment that Echo gives it later. But uh, he's trying to figure out, you know, like about the burnt out components and also the fact that Mew, something I forgot to mention, in an argument she had with him prior to going to see Billin, said, go back to Liverchester, bugger off. And she's, to give you an idea of why she was doing that, this is of course immediately following the, you know, New Barton sisters like 
mass hallucination. You yeah. know, you actually killed him by accident thing. So she's doing it really just to try and protect him because she mm-hmm. fears like losing control again. Uh, so that's the kind of strategy it's been employed. And you're like, I hate you, piss off, but I don't really hate you, but I'm doing, you know, make him hate him so that. But Echo's just too earnest to actually really take that on board. So he's musing about this, and then from a giant washing machine, <laughs> yes, really, <laughs> emerges a man. Uh, this would, this man, of course, is Kevin Valentine, <laughs> who we saw in the flashback. Oh, it was a giant washing machine. <laughs> so weird. Oh, amazing. I love it. Yep. So, yeah, he emerges, and they almost immediately hit it off because of their love for, like, talking about equipment and technology. And he starts talking about the amp, like, reveals who he is. Echo, like, you know, pulls out the uh, the almanac again to, like, figure out who he is. Like, Kevin Valentine! I mean, can I just point out, by the way, I've just had, it just pops into my head randomly, a pro pros and nothing here. Uh, I really, really want a Wild Stallions reference in this uh, in this show. Yeah, sure. Come on, you know, you know, you know full well that Keanu Reeves and Bill Winters will. Is it Bill Winters? I can't remember. Yeah, no, that's right. Bill Winters, you know, they told me up for doing voice cameos in this. I, I want, I want to hear an excellent <laughs> and a Wild Stallions guitar riff. I'm, that's all I ask. Come on, uh, uh, and of course, we obviously then will need Animal from the Muppets in on drums. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, Animal is the bit of the greatest drummer of all time. Change my that mind. That is true. That no, that's true. You can't. I I got nothing. You win. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you agree. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they're going through all the various details of like what's going on here. Uh, Kevin actually mentions a a lyric that will become relevant when we get to the episode next episode title. It's better to burn out than fade away, which of course was once penned by the great artist the Kurgan from Highlander. <laughs> Hey, yep, that's definitely what I, he's referencing. <laughs> I, I, I am, of course, joking. Uh, it was actually uh, Neil Young, uh, which I think his song was, if I'm not mistaken, I had this up on Wikipedia earlier, and I should have really memorized this, or done the crazy, incredible notion of writing it down. Uh, it was from his song, uh, Hey, Hey, My, My, Into the Black. Well, a song I don't know. I'm not super familiar with Neil Young. Uh, nor am I. I'm, presumably he remained Neil Young and never became Neil, Neil. Old, at least I hope for his sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, um... No. You know, it's whoever was giving the eulogy could say, only the good die young. And then Neil's like, it's open casky, just pops back and say, I'm not dead yet, motherfuckers! <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, the the way this conversation goes between uh, Kevin and Echo is that they kind of talk almost at cross purposes a little bit, which I think is really cute because they it really shows of how they're kind of same minds here that they're very tech oriented, bit head in the clouds that kind of thing. Uh, and this is the point where um, Kevin also recognizes that he's from Liverchester somehow uh, and helps him to start like repairing and like enhancing the equipment, which I think is really cool. Like this is a big part of the episode in that, like I mentioned before, we have. You know, the fresh talent meeting the, you know, established oldies and professionals and how the two play off each other, uh, which is the episode's strength, in my opinion. But we will, of course, get to that a bit. So Echo and Billin are still talking about various things. Um, because of the fact that Mew, by the way, the core part she has is the same as Jimmy Stonefreeze, uh, you know, again, further hints that maybe she is related to him directly or indirectly somehow. Um, Billin doesn't want her to, like, roam free. 
um, and indeed is trying to actually hold her in custody uh, until what is not quite clear, but events take a turn to try and change that around. Uh, they actually travel through the rest of the uh, giant airship, which, by the way, I think has some, like, um, greenhouses on, like, that are shaped like Zeppelins, as in Led Zeppelin. I could be wrong on that. I mean, <laughs> I feel I feel like on this show, even as much as I said, like, you know, about the Echo and the Bunnymen thing, like... I feel like you are more likely to be right than wrong in assuming something is a reference. <laughs> you you can just make up any like the history of rock is just so big that you could just be like you know oh man those numbers over there add up to forty one it's a sum forty one reference like you could just do yeah. anything they blinked one hundred eighty two times like you could just make anything up but like um I don't know if like if that's what they intended. I mean, who the fuck knows? But at this point, they've opened the Pandora's box, so they're kind of asking for it <laughs> with I, I the mean, Led Zeppelin. You know thing. what? <laughs> all, all, all I'm saying is, I'm. It wouldn't be impossible in my mind if they were fighting the New Bowton sisters later in the show's run, and in order to defeat them, they have to use an artifact, which is a giant prism, and through that, they shoot a beam of light that then turns into a rainbow. Of course, <laughs> naturally. Yeah, Naturally. I mean, you, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> Man, I'm. I, I, if, what would it be like, though, if it turned out that the creator of the A-list was Morrissey? Because he's a miserable cunt, that, so, you, you know, know that would be... It's, the the A-list is just... It was a creation of the Smiths, somehow. Nah, like, Morrissey, specifically. Just Morrissey, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to blame... Yeah. Um, jo- Johnny Marr actually Johnny was Marr. able to smile at least once or twice in his life, you know? <laughs> yeah, I so like Johnny Marr, too, so I don't want to... And I like the Smiths uh, in general. I mean, I've been to I've been to many many a club night featuring them. I just don't particularly like Morrissey for various reasons, not least of which he's that he's a blithering idiot. But yeah. hey, you know, not a fan either of him. The dude, he made some great. He he helped make some great music once upon a time. Well, you know what you know what's funny with everything that we've discussed about mindless fandom. Like you know how Echo would react if he knew who Morrissey was and met him in person. Like, he would be entirely enamored by the marketing behind yeah. him and not the reality. Sure. Which I think is a, interesting to think about. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. one thing that we should note as well um, is that Kevin also talks with Echo about, um, you know, his history with Billin in that, yes, indeed, their mech, uh, which I think was, uh, I almost said King Crimson. I don't think it is King Crimson. I think it's true, that would... true Crimson. Yeah, I thought that they were pulling like, you know, the JoJo's thing where they yeah. rename it very slightly. Uh, but they don't, actually. I think that True Crimson is something else. Um, but anyway, like, it turns out that their mech is indeed piloted by two people simultaneously, as intended to. But as it's seen in the earlier part of the episode, um, Billing pilots it solo. And so they had indeed split up. And in turn, Kevin's discussing with Echo about what it's like to, you know be involved with a woman like you know to split now split up as a term or a phrase rather it has two different contexts i mean you can have it either as literally between a partner like you know two people in love who's break up or it can mean in the band context uh which is you know they break up you know they split up uh and part of kevin's explanation here is that he was a bit worried about you know getting too close to her given that she was literally on the front lines in the war and lest you think this is all a bit like, you know, ah, it would never really happen. That was the fate that kind of sort of befell the White Stripes. Because uh, Jack and Meg White, they are not brother and sister as, like, you know, their little fiction they built around themselves would say. They actually were married, but then 
split up. Like they were married very early in the band's career, as I recall it. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong on that, mind no, you. I'm just going you're, this you're memory. Right. You're right. So it's it's not impossible. Like, and indeed, there's been many times like that in the past. Uh, Gwen Stefani's "Don't Speak" when she was still doing good music and not, you know, caving into absolute garbage pop. Uh, that was also a song about her breakup with a fellow band member from... Easy there. Easy there on the Gwen. Careful. Eh. Eh. Don't care. Careful. Don't don't speak to me about... Don't don't speak to me about that. Uh, So anyway, um, we also get some bands between Moo and uh, Billin about, like, you know, how men are so self-censored and so self-indulgent. And I'm there, you know, like, wolfing down a bag of Doritos. I'm like, I don't believe this! I don't believe this for a moment, I say as I go for all the cool ranch in one go. (laughs) But anyway, uh, they... (laughs) I I love a Doritos joke. (laughs) Gamer Uh... fuel. Oh, Jesus Christ. I thought, now, I thought Game of Fuel was like, you know, alt-right YouTube videos. No. Hey. I think it's Mountain Dew and Doritos. That, they they were on that corner first, although admittedly, you know, fucking Dave Rubin has probably shoved them off that corner. Yeah. I mean, This is PragerU territory now, motherfucker. I mean, I mean, we've gone from junk food to, oh shit, junk food. Yeah, more. Uh, I, I, trust, I trust you see the difference. That doesn't even taste good. It's just garbage. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like you know deciding that what you want to eat for the rest of your life is just cigarette ash. But so. but tell me while I'm eating it that it is a fucking Ruth Chris steak. Yes, yes. So uh, Mew and Billing have a talk outside on the you know open air balcony of their giant floating like. <laughs> I'm sure again this is a reference. Maybe it's an actual microphone shape. I don't know. I believe anything at this point if you told it told me that it was true, but. Um, they're having a discussion, like, you know, about what it means to be a player, um, and also what needs to, <laughs> she, what Moo needs to do next, and what she needs to have in order to beat the Aeolus, and also the discussion they have about what the Aeolus actually are, um, which I think is something that you're going to elaborate on in a little while. Um, mm-hmm. But to sum up, basically, as I understood it, it went something a bit like this, um, that they were like you know wanting to hear the passion from the player like just give us it all keep giving it to me keep giving it that's the kind of thing that i got from it as i understood from billion's description there does that sound right uh that's part of it indeed okay elaborate a bit more dog while i have a quick cheeky drink oh absolutely okay uh goodness so this was a talking point i had uh, but I can go into it now. So, oh, j- just just explain the uh, just refresh on the concepts. I mean, say like we'll get to talk about it later, just so I've not missed anything out. Oh yeah, okay. So d- there's a couple things she says I thought were intriguing. Um, you know that she does say that right that um, da, 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 where where is the... okay? Um, she it's her heart's desire to save the earless. Um, and she believe like since they are former humans, she has a lot of pity for them, right? They're lonely phantoms, she calls them. And uh, she oftentimes... Mindless fandom, telling you. Telling you. Well, I think I lonely fandom, uh, phantoms is like, that is a description that, to me, like, there's some empathy for that. And mindless fandom is a very, like, insulting derisive description but like so lonely phantoms right like and she when she's there 
she says she can it's almost like she can hear their voices their yearning um there's like rain down your passion on us right like and i think they want to feel what the player is feeling like they want and this is tied to something she says a little bit later authenticity um that the most important thing for a player is not uh talent it's not technique it's conviction and that is the same thing the neubauten sisters said um that you have no conviction um and that's the main thing for a player to have so you have two other players telling mu here that like realness like authenticity conviction about something is what a player ought to have and uh she elaborates further does billin when she says that is this conviction that's meant to guide uh it's it, it's a guide it's meant to light the path of the earless which i thought was a really intriguing statement like there it just showed me that there's sort of different kind of ways that you could look at the earless like some people are just like oh fuck them they're evil we need to destroy them and some people are like well they ought to be saved somehow. If the, if it, I mean, and it could just be the same two two ways of looking at the same thing. If like you could talk about like extinguishing them is a way of saving them to save them from their, you know, these poor writhing souls. I think she calls them like, but she clearly has a lot of pity for them and looks at them very differently than other characters in the show, which I thought was super super interesting. And I will have even more to say about it um, in a bit. Hmm. So, also of note with regards to conviction there is that Billing tells me, like, hey, you know what, you're worried about losing him, but even despite that, you still need to have a conviction of your own. Which, I'm like, yes! Thank God for that. Thank God it wasn't, like, you know, going to be all literally pivoting on each other, but rather some self-actualization. That's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem with Mew conceptually, not to say that's a problem with the show, but rather one of the things I can see being an issue with it, is that, because she starts off with no memories, like, you know, it makes her, like, a part of her identity inevitably fall uh, through her interactions with Echo and results in him ultimately becoming, a, uh, sorry, her becoming, like, rely on him for, like, things to do or reasons to do things. Like, you know, hey, he looks after me. I've got to keep doing that rather than having, like, her own worldview or perspective. Uh, but thankfully, it seems to be avoiding that. And the fact that Billing was the one who said that, I really appreciate. Nothing much more to say on that point, just thought it was noteworthy mm-hmm. uh but yeah uh echo comes outside and like starts talking to her and basically says look right uh i've made the choice to leave Liverchester. i want to go and see the world with you like i previously was all about like you know just doing my junk collecting not really thinking outside of my little box but that's not what i want to do anymore i want to go i want to go travel the world i want to go basically on tour yeah <laughs> is yeah doing. and nobody made me it, do it i it was my choice yeah, this is the point where he also names the amp, uh, and he calls the amp AC30. Uh, AC30 is a brand of amp from Vox. Assassin's the Creed most popular- 30, coming out next year. We're on the 30th one. Get ready. It's time. Celebrate the Ubisoft's lineage of fantastic open-world action games. Assassin's Creed number 30. It's just as fresh as it was the first time two years ago. We've made 30 games in in two years isn't that awesome <laughs> you could even finish that with a straight face jesus christ but you know what made me sad about that joke you were just making then is that one 
uh, I couldn't even tell you if it was necessarily <laughs> false. No, like, you could be there? you could be right. If you like include the yeah. Vita versions and shit, who knows what they're on? <laughs> Mobile phone games, God knows. We'll kept, we'll throw in the movie as well. <laughs> I forgot the movie existed. Oh, I did Jesus. too, and that was after I finished watching it. Oh no, hey. you saw it. How? No, I didn't. I'm oh, joking. I'm joking. I avoided that fate. I thought, but I couldn't resist making that. Uh, the second thing that made me like grimace then was just like, oh, good God, you had to bring up Assassin's Creed of all things. <laughs> Jesus yep. Christ. Uh, the pop noodle of video game franchises. But anyway, I mean, uh, it's, I used to like pop noodle and I used to also like Assassin's Creed. And then it <laughs> shat the bed, so hey, there you go. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, AC30 is, like, the most, like, famous brand of amp from Vox. Like, I haven't researched it in much detail, but, yeah, like, again, this isn't just, oh, I picked something out of thin air and just, like, you know, called it a random thing. That is literally something you can buy, and it is incredibly, like, well-renowned in the British rock world. So, that's neat. Is it, um, like, Uh, expensive? Well, from what I saw when I briefly Googled, it was like £700 for a Vox amp. I don't even know if it was the AC30 or not. Mm, okay. uh, the AC30, merely, I think, was quite an older model, so mm. I don't think it's necessarily on sale as it existed back then, but this is a merely way out of my knowledge base here, folks. Like, I'm just I'm just talking about why Glean from, like, a quick Google search, like, AC30's got to mean something, surely. And as it turns out, it did. But anyway, uh, Billy... You've got, you've uh, got ca- hair... Shadon, you've got hair. Hair being an acronym for half-assed internet research. <laughs> I've got that more than actual hair. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> I'm not even growing my hair in quarantine, folks. Like, I have razors. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, everyone's growing their hair at the moment because no one's getting haircuts. And I'm the exception because I can still shave my head. I'm not even blessed with a quarantine haircut. Which is actually probably for the best. You don't want to see that the first time we get live streaming again after this is all over. I'm anyway, pretty sure I do, but we can. That, no, is, no, that is your we, prerogative. <laughs> it, it very much is so. I will, you know, I'll keep this uh, dome aerodynamic <laughs> for now and forever. But anyway, uh, so Billy actually meets Kevin like in the lobby, just like at the entryway to the ship, like, and. It turns out that from something he mentioned as mentioned earlier, like he'd actually not emerged for four years. Like, what was he doing in that washing machine for four years? Who was feeding him? <laughs> what the fuck? Get some fresh air, man. Like, I mean, again, insert your own, like, you know, how big mood joke here and all that. Hopefully it doesn't take that long. But anyway. Uh, th- she says, Hey, you know what, I'm all fired up. Let's go and have a let's go and have a sparring, you know, match with these two. Let's let's put the youngers in their place in a very like you know uh, friendly manner, and he's like, "You made me realize." He's quoting the lyrics again. Yeah, another song title. Yeah, yep. Uh, so they fight, and in other circumstances, it would be a Soul Caliber Six match. You know, you get a ring <laughs> out, and that's it basically, because <laughs> they knock Echo and Moo off the edge. Uh, but it turns out that. Echo's modifications now give it uh, jet boosters. You know, this ain't no fly. Namco game. <laughs> no. Uh, one small thing I want to mention about the design of the robot and the way it flies that I really liked just because it felt fresh. Like, ever since the original Iron Man movie came out, if you're doing any sort of flying, you're always doing it with, like, the jet thrusters placed in the palm of your hands. Uh, that's true even of, like, you know, characters who aren't even, like, 
either using armor or piloting robots like cypher from castlevania flies that way uh scarlet witch in the same franchise actually uh, as iron man does that as well so the fact that it's actually based on like you know boosts on the elbows of the robot instead for it to fly i was like oh good that's something a little bit different a little bit fresh good on them for doing that rather than it's just like the same shit over and over again you know so that's good. So the fight kicks off, and you know, like it's all pew pew lasers, blah 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 blah. You know, got green, ver- you know, versus red. Uh, Echo suggests, say, like, let's try the top boost again, like, uh, which results in a toast, toast desu or whatever it was. Like, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, they are like you know, flying at hun- like 150 <laughs> miles per hour. You know, uh, communication's going to be difficult. I-, I was watching a Rika Seven recently. Even that's a bitch, and they're in cockpits. Um, but yeah, like, they show off, like, you know, the uh, top boost attack, uh, which causes Billings to know, like, hmm, it's got the same, you know, f- thing as him, but with more fire. And I'm like, yep, yeah, there's your Jimmy Stone free connection there, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotta, gotta, be, gotta be the way. But uh, Billing and uh, Kevin, like, you know, they're, they're all pros at this. They're not they're not amateurs, like, you know, game by entirely on passion alone. So they fire back with, uh, you know, um, I can't remember the lyric names right now, but you know yeah it's, it's like all. uh if i can see it but i can't feel it something to that effects uh and they end the fight there and then it's just, they, like it, it all ends pretty amicably and all that um so at this point billing says right here's what you need to do you need to go <clears throat> and find the other players because they all have keys or secrets that will lead you to jimmy stonefree uh, he's the key to all this. He's the one who like dropped the ball and caused the whole world to go to shit. So you basically need him to unfuck it. <laughs> unfucking and... the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to unfuck it basically. Spit out the world that you've eaten, Jimmy. Pretty much. Uh, so this is where we get like a uh, rose gallery of sorts of various bands or players that they're going to go find. Uh, I'm sure that all of these are references to various bands. I didn't recognize most of them, save for one, which is also a gentleman who we see in the OP. He has the prince symbol on his chest. The what symbol? The prince symbol. Oh, yes. No, I totally thought this time when I was watching the OP, is that prince? Yep, and he's one of the players mentioned there. We know uh, Cobain will be one from the episode title of next week's episode. Yeah, Teen Spirit. Uh, hopefully uh, that does not involve a shotgun. Uh, there's your dark humor oh, for the day. Boy. Yeah, Sorry no, let's not. Uh, let's hope not. Yeah, let, let's. I'm saying that more just because I don't want to. Like, when you deal with Cobain, like, you know, he was. Uh, I actually saw the. Um, I can't remember what the specific title was, but it was actually a. Um, a film documentary of him. Mm-hmm. Um basically charging his entire life it was really good yeah um i will credit them this by the way that whoever made that documentary i really should know the name of this because I, I thought it was fantastic but um yeah they did the really wise job of not actually getting courtney love involved in any of the commentary of that until chronologically speaking they were at the point in his life in the film where she entered his life mm-hmm. they didn't for example have her like appearing to talk about his childhood or anything she didn't jack shit about that it was all his mother up until that point talking about his struggle with adhd for example and also like you know the point where the father finally really went gold and said like your life's gonna change forever and they did yeah very very good very very good film i will try and find the name of it okay. at some point so i can mention that's it cool in i'd um i'd like to see it because i like nirvana an awful lot but i haven't seen um 
I haven't seen a documentary uh, about them. Yeah, it was legitimately good. Um, but yeah, otherwise, that's the episode. Echo and Moose set off into the sunset to go find all the various players. You know, basically a series of boss battles. That's what we're going to have. You know, it's going to be... I don't know. Insert your own video game reference here. I'm tired. Fuck find it. the Lords of Cinder. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, there we go. I was almost tempted to say Dark Souls, but I resisted. I held, I held back on that. So, let's go on to talking points then. Uh, Doc, you've got plenty to say, I suspect, so I'll pass this over to you first. Sure. So, um, I do have um, several points. Um, I guess, firstly, though, I'll start off on uh, just the My Bloody Valentine stuff. Um, so, I never in a million years thought that a Japanese anime would be referencing My Bloody Valentine. Like... It, it blows my mind in some ways because they are a really, really important band to me, despite like having only made three albums since 1988, I think. Um, made... <laughs> I really thought you were just going to say 1988. I was like, I know they've been around a while, but come on, man. <laughs> well, I, so as I look now, it's actually 1985. Um, but I think people just disregard that first album because they had not kind of found sonically and musically who they were as a group until 1988's Isn't Anything, which sadly is the the one where all the references come from this episode. And I say sadly not because that's a bad album. I That is a great album, but none of the references are from Loveless, the 1991, except for MBV 91 from The Robot. But none of the lyrical references are, and that's really because that that is an album largely devoid of decipherable lyrics. Um, so they can't really, unless they, <laughs> yeah, unless they were going to do the sound, uh, the the song titles, they couldn't really reference it. But, um, but yeah, like the characters, Billin and Kevin are Belinda. I believe it's Belinda Butcher, um, as her last name. But it's Belinda, and then Kevin Shields. They are the two founders of my bloody valentine kevin was the the songwriter and uh uh belinda uh lent her her just irreplicable magic um to the vocals and like this is not a band that i know a ton about like in terms of their history and everything like i don't tend to engage with my favorite art as as much as some other folks do in that way where I'm like, I must learn about the circumstances of its creation and who all the people are as my, I'm trying to be more like that, but usually I just sort of watch or listen to it over and over and over and over and kind of connect with it personally. And, um, that's what, uh, that's what the group kind of is for me, like, especially through like an incredibly emotionally difficult time in like at college and early 20s when i'm just figuring shit out late teens like they really were like a uh like a, a salve a boon kind of a centering force in my life like i've never really given homework in what are we death show before i've talked about things you should watch or whatever but like the serious business especially to me many times <laughs> yes yes i've talked about that but i'm giving all of our listeners and you homework is that at some point during the week it's a great time to do it um it's not a great time 
but it is a, a good time to do this. It's an opportune time. Yes. Take about like an hour and a half. Plop down on your bed or your couch. And, you know, if you would like to smoke, you may smoke. You don't have to smoke. It's not required. Um, Is that to get in the like, specific mood that this music <laughs> came out in, like, where, where smoking was still acceptable? <laughs> I think it would enhance. I have never, I have never smoked weed and listened to this music. But if you got that... Oh, I thought you were just talking about smoking in general. I didn't realize you were, like, literally 420-ing it, but hey. <laughs> well, I, again, I think it would enhance. But, but the point being, throw on Loveless via YouTube, Spotify, whatever. Start at track two, not because track one is bad, but because it is very sonically different than the rest of the album. And just put it on and... Uh, to me, this is like a perfect album. It is... It, it, they just achieved this incredible... Like, they just create this space that is the perfect point between melody and noise. Like, you never lose one or the other. It remains melodic, but also the jagged edges of the noise permeate everything. And it just sounds so unique and... I mean, it's why, like, it's, I think it's the best shoegaze album of all time, no question. And this album really, like, kind of kickstarted that movement. If you're not familiar with shoegaze music, it is, like, if you just listen to this album, you'd be like, okay, I kind of, I kind of feel, I kind of have a feel for what it is. It got that name because a lot of the bands, instead of, like, jumping around on stage and doing the Pete Townsend thing, they would just look at their, they would just (laughs) look at their feet while they play this kind of dreamy, noisy music um but yeah i love mbv with all my heart you should all listen to it um you know the thing of him being gone for four years well a- after he freaked out uh kevin did and and, and uh split up with billin after uh mbv broke up in the late 90s kevin Shields sort of went mad and disappeared for a while um wow yeah he he went a bit nuts and his uh, by his own admission uh and but then he re-emerged to tour with some other bands for a while and then reform mvb uh, mbv sorry and uh in the mid-2000s and then eventually they put out another album in 2013 that's for 1991 to 2013 they released no music <laughs> and then <laughs> well, is that is that possibly foreshadowing for billy and kevin returning later in the show's run to help echo and mew out I possibly so. I mean, I think this could be them, you know, reuniting, and then, yeah, it could, you know, the 2013 album could be they return to the big grand stage or whatever um, later in the show. Uh, but yeah, like all kinds of great song references that we mostly mentioned. Tremolo, we forgot to mention. I forget even what Tremolo was in the context of the show, but I was just like Tremolo. Squeeze. It was the Tremolo, Tremolo Industries. It was mm-hmm. the yeah. uh, the company that uh, billionaires are the director of. Yeah, and it's interesting that they said that they uh, relied on. Is this? Uh, you know, this is two kind of groups that we've talked about in a row. That uh, to a large degree, in the case of the um, the Neubauten group, um, and to a slightly lesser degree for My Bloody Valentine, like rely on noise 
and they're not just kind of about melodies and and pop and catchiness and listenability. Their noise is like a factor because they said, uh, Bill and said at some point early on, she was saying that the, they rely on the noise of the earless to make their equipment. Did I get that mm. right? I believe that's the case. Let's see what I wrote. Yeah, noise relied on to make their equipment. Um, that's right before they showed a photo of them is, that I think featured the Is mayor. that necessarily true, though? Because bear in mind that Echo actually made his own equipment. Like, and he wouldn't be able to do that with the, with the earless because they would have killed him. Well, it would either be sort of a passive thing or they do it in their own unique way. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, Kevin is amazed that he made it by himself. So there are clearly different ways of constructing equipment. But Billen definitely mm-hmm. said that they rely on the noise of the year list to make their equipment. It could just be their, this is their own idiosyncratic way of doing it. Um, yeah, or it may, enough, be, but... it may be like a, also the normal method of doing it that... Echo did not have access to, you know, because he's a poor kid from who knows where, and he's not sort of connected to a player and not a player himself. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of different possibilities, but I did note that, and that is that is a point that I will... It, it ties into another point I have. I thought it was kind of a key statement here, but um, but yeah, that's my MVV thing. Go listen to Loveless right now. It's yeah, great. Yeah, turn off this podcast, go listen to it. Do it. Do it. All right, so... My talking points, like, I think the first one I want to bring up, really, and I've kind of already talked about it a little bit, is just the relationship between new artists and veteran artists. Because, make no mistake, like, placing the My Bully Valentine XPs of Billion and Kevin in this particular episode, and also the timeline they come from, it does demand you have knowledge of the, um, of My Bloody Valentine, and granted, like, Doc, you filling in the gaps was very helpful for me on that, because I knew of them, but I didn't know that much about them. And, like, I think that the fact that they were around, like, and at the peak of their, you know, popularity and fame in the 90s and the early 90s specifically, mm-hmm. um, and then the time frame that follows, like, I think that kind of parallels in the episode proper with the time between them going to the festival, then everything going to Brom, yeah. and then they're at least 10 years later, and then four years of, like, Kevin not even appearing. But then, like, at the end of the episode, they're fired up again, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that there is a truth to the depiction of the relationship between... Um, the Valentines and Echo and Moo here. Sorry, Echo and... Yeah. Which is that, you know, it's not simply that, you know, it's a one-way relationship in the industry of... in music industry between, uh, you, you know, new bands are always deriving stuff from the old ones. Like, you know, there's there's often ones that come in and do something new. But rather, there are old bands who, like, can be very reinvigorated by, you know, the presence of new talent, I would say. Uh, yeah. I've seen, like, for example... Uh, you know festivals like they often like will talk about what band is coming on next uh, i'm dredging really far back in my memory from over a decade here when i went to download a couple of times but yeah there's a lot of generally mutual respect between old and new bands like you know like saying hey they're on next you people forward to that they're gonna be great even bands from different genres like i mean wolf mother were doing the uh main stage at download one year like and they were very distinctly not like metal or rock they were more melodic indie i would describe it as um mm. but they you know they I got think the they're like throwback aren't bands. they aren't they like a throwback to like 70s like they're this pretty is, rocking this again this is again dredging from my memory here but like note the conversations that echo has with like um kevin and how like they seem very of a of a like mind um 
and how infused they are about like talking about technology and like building the equipment and such like i really really enjoyed all that um the conversations between uh billy and mute were much more on the you know master at hand of dealing with <clears throat> dealing with the earless and I also think that was like like really neat, like how we get the old like merging with the new here. So I don't have really much of a massive talk. I I just thought it was neat that, that we got to see this relationship between actual like old and new bands played out with uh, the characters we see here, both with, and with their roles aligning, like where we got the match between like you know the technicians yeah. and the players. So that was neat stuff. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was rad. I mean, uh, I, I that's it's why I think that you know why i was so bullish earlier on the fact that we should give the show the benefit of the doubt when it comes to references because when you dig into the references it seemed it really does seem like you know on episodes two and three so far uh they they have been not making them just to make them not making them just to be like this is cool music hot you know i listened to this once it's like they build they, they have built uh the story around them and draw on either the band's history or what the band is about philosophically um what they are musically like to inform the story arcs and the character development and everything so i really think this is like a strong point of the show and why like i understand it's good fun to be like near automata haha but like I think that really does a disservice to like the work the show has put in in most of its areas in terms of referencing stuff. Mm-hmm. And indeed, the New Balance sisters themselves, like you know, we had the hey, here's the here's the assholes, here's the good ones. Like you know, we get a nice bit of contrast on that, so that's good in its own right. Um, over to you for the next point, Doc. For sure. So I'll just continue off my last one. Um, so that whole bit about using the noise of the earless to make equipment. And now this could play into your uh, your whole theory about the earless and music fandom. Um, you know, because, of course, artists, like, they make their art, but to be rock stars and to be famous and to have the big platforms and everything, they really rely on fans and fan engagement and fan income. Um, yeah. So, like, using the fact that the noise is used to make the equipment, you know, there could be some stuff going on there. But I took that, and then I I juxtaposed that statement with, again, what Billin was saying. Um, in terms of like what the earless are, like she said, she wants to, uh, kind of free the earless from their suffering and get you know rid the world of them because in 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 terms of like not because ah they're a blight they're they're evil and they're they're shit and i'm angry at them but like they're suffering and that needs to be alleviated and so that's why i don't want any more earless i don't want any more lonely phantoms kind of wandering yearning um she said all that but did you hear the caveat that she said she said i don't care if the world resents me now why would ever the world resent anyone um, who is going around and alleviating suffering? Like, 
the the very simple explanation I have, and I think this might not oh, be I no, this is a rhetorical up. question. I have an answer. Well, in that case, I will let you give that. Okay, it's probably infinitely more interesting than <laughs> I was going to come up with. So, so that's it's a rhetorical question because I, I believe she has answered her own question earlier when she says we rely on the noise of the earless to make our equipment. So, if mm-hmm. there were no earless, there would be no noise. If there were no suffering group of lonely phantoms around, we wouldn't get to exploit them to make our equipment and things that we make. So there is this parasitic kind of relationship happening. There is, uh, you know, people in the world that want suffering to continue because they benefit from it. Um, regardless of how altruistic or whatever they might say that they are or seem, there is there are people that rely on the earless and their noise to make things, and if they went away, that would go away. But it- I don't agree, because um, I thought that when they said equipment, they were meaning very specifically the giant robots, equipment with the capital E, the proper noun, not the general term. They did mean that, So yeah. So that's not a big deal because it doesn't like alter society at large. It's not like, it's not like say doom eternal where, or doom where, Hey, we, you know, we can't use the demons anymore for our energy. Like the whole place falls apart. Like, you know, society collapses. Like, no, well, it, would, it's just the giant. Well, let me ask you if, that... if people, if the 1% got to stop exploiting other people, would society at large, like what would, would it negative? I mean, like, I think, the people that would be impacted would be the people doing the exploiting. But the thing is, like, the 1% analogy doesn't really work because they, like, the 1% don't actively try and stop the very, like, or, like, undo the very thing that gives them their wealth in the first place. Like, I... I'm, I'm, what? I'm, I'm not sure what you mean. Right, okay. Here's the thing, right? The... Using the noise, like, to create equipment, and then, like, if they get rid of the earless, no more noise, no more equipment. Like, but the equipment exists to fight the earless. It's a complete cycle. The the 1% thing you mentioned, like, they're making wealth to continue making wealth. They're not going to try and stop it. It, it. it It's not the same thing. But they, they'll, get, they'll give a little bit to charity every year, as long as they don't have oh. to, you know, actually uh, sort of make society equitable. They'll, they'll throw people a bone. really tenuous analogy, to be quite honest. I, I don't see it. Well, I don't think... Uh, sure, I don't think the 1% analogy holds up. I merely threw it in there to say, like... To, to illustrate that it doesn't matter if the entire world would be thrown off if the exploitation stops sometimes. What matters is, like, the for the powerful people who are doing the exploiting, and that's the, the players in this case... Um, they would be impacted, so they don't want it to stop. Well, why? Why else? Why do you think the world would resent her if the earless went away? Well, they already they already do resent the they already the world already resents players in general. I think that she was referring to that. That was no, the but what? Answer I was but, give. but her sentence is: I want to get rid of all the earless. I don't care if the world resents me for it. Did she say resent? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the show's just not being clear on its request, but I don't think it's as I don't think it's anything like you know, exploiting or anything like that, like, for to continue their existence, that that has not been a give, put across at all in the show. 
Oh, I disagree. I think it's very clear like that that line. I think we'll continue to to find out that the the I mean, it's why Jimmy Stonefree wanted to keep them around, I think in, in part at least. Like there are people that want that want them to continue to be and we know that they are human former humans and this existence according if we're going to believe Billen, which I think she's proven to be the show has shown her to be like a trustworthy person so far. Um they're just like they're suffering and that ought to be stopped. And but but there are people that don't want it to stop. Why would that possibly be? We'll find out, but I genuinely don't think the show is fleshed out enough to, to so far to really give anything too concrete about it. I literally do think it's as simple as the world hates players. Like that's been the thing it's been pretty explicit on. Like, you know, player fucks up like one player fucks up the entire world. Everyone else hates the players now. And so I think that's pretty much why Billin's statement exists there as it is. I granted maybe it was phrased a little differently, so it's not quite clear, but that's the thing that I think makes the mm. most sense given the information we've currently got. That the world hates me, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I feel is right to set things right. Mm, I think you're under... Like, we just have to go back and review the tapes. I'll watch it again, if you will. And I do believe that she definitely says, like, I don't care if the world resents me for for this desire or this action of of getting rid of all the earless so like to to me that like that's a real like that's a flag planting like we have to make sense of that either you know either the show will make sense of it and or and everything or and that will bear out in some way or um it is being uh either misleading or unclear because there's a there's a definite meaning to what she said and it is it is not the general there is the general hatred for players. That certainly is a thing yeah. that exists, but like this is a different thing over and above that, that she's talking yeah. personally about herself, not the not well, players in general. You know, I've actually just pulled that scene up, and you're right. She just say resents me for it specifically, which I would then ask, why does Mew not comment on that? Because I think sometimes there needs to be an alignment between audience and character, especially someone like Mew who literally has no memories. So that would have been a good time to make that more clear in my opinion, because this is currently, I don't know. I don't get it. I genuinely don't get it. And I think that if, if it is, as you say, like they're exploiting them, like that needs to have been already given more fleshing out at this point as it exists. I think we'll, we'll get more. Un- we'll unless, get m- unless, unless you want to go with the facts that, Hey, guess what? Billin and Kevin live in this floating like palace. They're doing pretty well for themselves. And you got poor like echo and all the other scraping like a existence out of junk. Uh, that could be something you could play on. But then again, have you seen the preview for next episode? There's a fucking school. What, what's I know, going on? I know. That, the, this, preview this was, any... the preview was very jarring. <laughs> yeah. The preview was very I, you know jarring. What? I'm going to table this for later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, basically. yeah. Yeah, I think like there are hints and we've we've seen, we've gotten a bit and I, if I'm right, which who knows, but if I'm right, like it will continue to like unfold that notion but we'll see i mean well i'm intrigued by this idea um hmm. yeah so now over cool. to you now all right just a small talk about because there's been some discussion in our discord about the mech design for echo's robot uh and also the lack of a cockpit and yet we see a cockpit in this episode uh for true crimson mm-hmm. and yeah I'm going to put it out there. I actually like this, and I'll tell you why. Because I think it ties into the idea of Echo's robot being kind of cobbled together from whatever he had. 
that's why he wouldn't have had time to build a cockpit, but there is obviously one here for uh, for True Crimson. So that's only a small bit from me, but I think that it works to help show like, hey, you know, this is a more grounded concept than you might give it credit for, that, hey, all he ever had was literally junk parts <laughs> of whatever he could get together. Yeah. And so obviously there was no way he was going to build a cockpit in there. Um, the granted, the new Bowser sisters, like your know, new Bowser sisters, sorry, they don't have cockpits either. But I can also make an ancillary like explanation of it, which is that you know they are meant to be rock stars in a sense. So obviously they're going to want to put on a public performance. Maybe. Yeah. This um, is a shoegaze mech. <laughs> yeah, you could argue that maybe this is part. This is where like you know the concept of giant robots meeting rock bands doesn't quite entirely gel together or fit together perfectly like a proper puzzle should do, um, where the concepts are kind of at odd angles to each other, but I'm mostly okay with it, to be quite honest. I mean, it makes sense, like, in terms of, like, the show's fiction that, hey, I built this out of shit I found in my backyard. Mm -hmm. I mean, admittedly, this does make Echo, like, you know, the Anakin Skywalker of this uh, show. I'm so sorry for that reference. That's bad. Um... He built fucking pod racing. That's true. Uh, pod no, it's Shit all. It's true. I'm sorry to say, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but the other thing, um, uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up as well, uh, which actually just left my brain. Shit. Carry on, Doc. You, uh, I'll come back to me in a minute. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I was going to respond to something you said, and now that's left me too. I have another talking point, but what was I going to respond to what you said? Damn it. No. <laughs> Why is the... Well, Why my, is the memory well, my, bird attacking us? Um, I don't know, but my points come back. Good, to good. Now. Um, yeah. Um, so, oh God, I'm, I'm having. I'm so. I don't know what's happening in my brain right now. <laughs> straight. This it's is late. Terrible. It's this late where worst. you are. It's late. Um, it is. It is late. Yeah. Um, fuck. Oh yes. Sorry, I remember now. So, what I find interesting about this setup, though, is that you have a player and you have someone as a technician, but. Tell me, how many bands have you ever watched or listened to in your life where the person doing the sound mixing gets the most note? Unless you're talking literally about people doing DJ sets. Uh, very few. Like, well, I mean, the most, I would, the most note, probably, probably not. I would say there are a couple of, like, I would say, <laughs> shitty reference time. Um, there are some new metal bands where the DJ was, like, on equal foot like mike shinoda of lincoln park i mean people know who that guy is you know what i mean he was he was the vocalist but you're referring to the other guy in that one who had the but i thought the vocalist was chester I, they had two vocalists a rapper and a yeah, rock mike singer shinoda, guy yeah but also like Ma um, mike shinoda was the uh was the other the vocalist. rapper he was the but rapper there was, but there was there was a dude who was also doing that so you are correct with lincoln park there um i thought that was but anyway it doesn't oh yeah dj dj han mr han that's right um, that's the gents. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Han. Uh, uh, then, then uh, Incubus DJ Kilgore, I believe it was, was a person. And then Limp Biscuit had a guy too, and people knew who who that guy was. Although, again, Dur Durst yeah. was the was the most well known. Um, yeah, but the thing is with those bands, though, like they are just providing one element of the music. They're not entirely responsible, or even partly responsible, for the maintenance and upkeep of the actual equipment. Right. That's right. more like I don't even. I, this is merely my ignorance of how bands work. I mean, I believe, I believe, and I could be wrong here that like when you go on tour, you take your equipment with you. So the question then is, who's responsible for that? And 
what I find interesting is that listeners is actually throwing this into front focus here, like that it is not literally just about the personality, but there is a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into making this stuff happen, which in of itself is really, really neat. And mm-hmm. they even actually do this in the mech fights themselves by having both Echo and Kevin adjust like stuff on the robots to help fine tune them during a fight, which I don't think I've actually seen in a lot of mech shows in the past. Like, you know, the closest analogy I can think of is them doing shit on Star Trek. Like, you know, when they're doing, uh, you know, space fights and, uh, like, adjust this power to this thing here, like, but this is more background stuff while still being noticeable. And I think that's a really neat element. I'm in- I'm glad that they're actually making this a more holistic look about how, as an a- uh, by way of analogy, of course, that, hey, this is how bands go on so and how they work. That it's not just the band themselves, but also the backing people who actually do all of the really, like, in-depth technical work. Yeah. Which is... Neat. They do have that, have that in other mech shows, uh, thankfully. Like I think there's been there there have been shows that are more kind of um, apt to like show you what the people either not in the cockpits or the mechanics or you know other people are kind of they have real lives and they're an important part of this. Like that's um that's sort of a, a tradition that's good um, and cool about um, mecha shows. And but it works here too, um, for the reasons you mentioned. Um, very mm-hmm. good. Um, I remembered. I think what I was um, gonna say to you was that, like, so regarding um, kind of the, the rock stars and robots, uh, kind of fitting together. Um, not maybe not quite perfectly. I think. I kind of think that's fine. Like, I I don't know. It, like, I, I'm not sort of a person who expects everything like that conceptually to, to fit oh, no, tight I, as glue, like, perfectly together, you I, know? When I, when, I, when, I, when I made that point, like, I wasn't coming down the show hard. It was just more of an observation, anything else. Like, mm-hmm. there are degrees to criticism. So me saying it doesn't quite work doesn't mean it doesn't. It's fine. I can, I can put my disbelief aside. But I'm just saying that, you know, there's a certain amount of it that doesn't quite get there but eh. it's not this it's not a binary thing to say this is bad or this is all like no this is this is mostly good but there are one or two things that don't quite a bit creaky you know That's yeah what I, mean by that. I mean i guess i don't even think it needs to like it's if every single like if everything related to everything like it would just i don't know it would then feel kind of um like un uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, algorithmic or generate i don't know um I- i'm good with some jagged edges i guess too, yeah too too rigid yeah i mean the point i suppose i'm trying to counter it by saying that i i recognize this is a thing but i'm not really bothered is that someone could rightly ask in the kind of admittedly tv tropey cinema sins kind of way why don't you just punch her off the robot if she's not somewhere that's like protected and it's a dumb it's I a dumb question that, to ask i can see that's i think it's I agree. It doesn't necessarily make it entirely invalid. Oh, I think but I'm it, just saying I, that, like, you know, I just think that is a silly way to engage with uh, this show. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm, I'm not saying that I believe in that at all. What I'm trying to say, though, is that I can see people asking that, and I think that that is not invalid in terms of, like it's there and it's a question you can ask. But like, the answer is not simply something that exists, like in terms of oh because of something well like i've offered explanation that echoes robot for example doesn't have that and then because there's the rock staffing but i'm saying like you know it doesn't 
the question exists to begin with if you follow my meaning you well know, I'm, that's yeah what i'm saying it doesn't quite well i'm i'm saying that i don't think it's a valid question to ask <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's where we disagree is like i can't like i don't really like i think that that's just not a good faith or charitable way to approach uh engaging with this particular piece of media so i i don't see asking the oh i i, I don't saying. i don't i well if it, oh i'm I, well i'm saying that i think people could ask it but i'm just not saying that i agree with the question itself but i'm just saying there's a potential for it like is i can see it being asked but i don't personally agree with it like i think that all the answers one could give to it, if you engage with it properly would be fair ones like if you actually thought about it right um well it's just one of those where like just acknowledging it as a question is like <laughs> given giving it too much credence i think but um okay next talking point for me would be um what was it uh i had it in front of me um shoot uh what was i gonna say oh Sticking with the robot stuff, uh, I again I said earlier I thought the action in this uh, episode was uh, was really great was like the best it's been so far because you had an actually protracted fight, you know like the first episode was like all about uh, her uh, Mu winning, and in the uh, second episode it was all kind of about her failing and the battles were very one sided and ended rather quickly. And this one, you know, went on for a bit and uh, there were there was kind of a back and forth. And it was also great because it wasn't just about um, Moo kicking ass, which is great in and of itself. But it was about like them learning teamwork and kind of them figuring out those dynamics and her learning to trust Echo and let go of being afraid uh, she would lose him as her kind of primary emotion. And so I loved this battle. I thought it was super great for, for those reasons. Yeah, I think as well, and to build on what you've said there, like, yes, uh, Echo and Mu, like, they figure out the super move, the top boost again, which is good. Like, that's definite progress. But the fact that, you know, um, Billion and Kevin, like, fire back with the massive, like, Cherry Baja blast, you know... <laughs> spirit bomb <laughs> as it were um the fact that they fired back with that and completely Taco overpowered them like it yeah pretty much it it makes it clear like hey they've got the super move but that's not necessarily going to be enough experience does still count mm-hmm. granted um yeah you know billion says hey it's, con- it's conviction that matters and i do agree with that statement as far as the show's actual fiction and lore goes absolutely but it makes sense that, you know, like in a battle of the bands, quote-unquote, uh, that, hey, you know, when the old when the oldies are all fired up and <laughs> playing their prime, they will outshine the newbies. That's kind of to be expected, and it makes sense. So I felt they worked to establish, like, you know, that, hey, they're doing they're back on their feet now. They've recovered after the new Bowson fight, but they still are in a different league entirely from, um, you know from kevin and billing and i think that was really neat to see that it also means they've got a lot of work to do so good on them what you're saying made me think of uh have you seen carol and uh tuesday yet no so i need to it's really great and like in the first season um in the arc that takes up the whole uh, uh, back half of that season 
um there's like a a sort of um oh it's it's like um idol or strictly come dancing or whatever like a talent competition but between musical acts right that gets judged and uh by, by this panel of judges and one of the contestants on there you totally made me think of it's these two really really old dudes like just look pretty emaciated wrinkles like long beards like walk labored and slow but like when they get up there they play those most outrageous death metal <laughs> it's so good <laughs> amazing oh man they just like slay. i mean to be fair, like, <laughs> i mean to be fair like you know for all that like death metal or metal bands or metal singers or rock singers even like you know have lived heavy lives drinking smoking sex drugs rock and roll they live pretty long fucking lives. I mean, Lemmy was mm. in his mid-70s when he died, for example. Ozzy Osbourne's still going. Still... I don't know how. <laughs> I know. Did he, like... I mean, how many how many phylacteries do you think he has? It's all those, uh... I'm not asking... I'm not asking <laughs> if he has one, by the way, folks. That's the point I'm making. I know he has one. I want to know how many Ozzy's got. Oh, man. Uh, it, it reminded me, in some ways, of uh, Gretzko. Just the opposite, you know? Not the cute red panda death, but it's like these these old dudes can shred um but uh okay um continuing uh on um i think this is my final talking point and that is um it's actually brought to mind by something you said um about uh echo and how he um would celebrate morrissey right if he if he saw him just be like he would recall the wikipedia page about him right he would be like, yep. here's this, or not even the Wikipedia page, but like a, a magazine ad, you know, and in the like, here's uh 2020s like um, guide to like cool rock bands or whatever. The entry in there, um, the the yeah. marketing I mean, speak, like you said. Yeah, to go back to the very beginning of the episode, the NME reference, like he'd have read all the interviews and all that. He would essentially have consumed everything that's been very carefully like set up like, you know, arranged to give a specific image off, like a very positive one, at least in terms of the target audience, like for, say, Morrissey or any other controversial singer that you name. Like, he, Echo, I imagine, would have no idea, for example, about, say, the stuff that was happening behind the scenes with him or his political agenda or anything like or, that. Um, or it seems like, like, would he have listened to You Are the Query? This is the point that I was making, because it seems like he's gobbling up fandom and the famousness of these people and knowing all these facts but like if we're going with the whole music analogy further like it seems like there's a distinction between the way he's engaging with artists and the way that like people engage with their art like in a very personal way you know what i mean like does do do the yes does the, the, the art that they he made mean anything him. to him he doesn't have an emotional connection to any of it. Yeah. Beyond it simply serving as a inspiration for him, the only thing that inspired him really during his time working as a junk scavenger. But other than that, it's not like, you know, hey, I listen to this music and it, you know, makes me feel feelings or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just like the idea of, you know, fame, you know, making you want to be a rock star, like, which is like, totally great and like not i'm not trying to like put that particular dream down or anything like that but it just seems like the 
that is a different thing that's happening than again like you said the emotional connection to uh particular artists and art and i just wonder if that will be explored if if the show will be more openly critical of uh echo's fandom and the way that he so far has like engaged with the players you know if that's if that is part of him forming a romantic interest with Mew, I would actually be on board with that because I'm not saying that you can't have romance in fiction. Like, I mean, if anything, like sometimes I think romance needs to exist in a lot of fiction and not have anything to do with what's actually going on because uh, romance for a lot of people is a very normal thing. Like, you know, hey, I've been through some crazy shit, but I just want a moment of normality with my partner, like, you know, where we talk about things or we watch like, you know, some tv i don't know you don't you get what i mean mm-hmm. I, I might brought this up in a different podcast where i talked about mass effect 3 and how there was a piece mm-hmm. of dlc in that for the citadel which i thought was generally a bag of wank but there was one specific bit where all you do is like in my case i was romancing caden because i was a vanilla fucker <laughs> uh like you know like the, where all they do is like they cook food and like you know have a glass of wine on the couch and that's really about it and you know what for commander shepherd in that story who's going around saving the galaxy from, like, these unstoppable alien killing machines, a moment of normality is very welcome. But there are other times when I think that if you can tie the romance into the theme um, of the story, that is actually all the stronger for it as well. And I can see it happening here, like, okay, Echo, like, you know, he thinks all these players are incredible. He's met one uh, group of players from the Almanac who have treated him like dirt, although he doesn't actually realize it, amusingly no. enough. Not yet. Uh, which, which is really telling, like, again, he's come out of it with an autograph, and Mew's come out of it with an autograph as well. It just happens to have been written on her brain, like, you know, and against her will. Thanks a bunch for that, New Bowson sisters. Um, so there's a difference already in terms of, like, how one group of people interprets with the other. Like, I mean... F- Players themselves can be fans of other players, I would imagine, you know. It's not like uh, stand users where they must fight each other and, and inherently drawn to each other, at least as far as the show's established. Um, but I can see it for happening, for example, like where Echo's like, no, I really like what Mew does, but it's n- not for any reason I can understand because obviously she's not in the almanac, that she's not in his Bible. So why does he feel that way? And that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, tied into him getting an emotional connection to her as a player and an artist, but also as a person. You can, like, you can see how these things, like, you know, intertwine, potentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that could be some way we could do this. And I would be all right with them uh, hooking up in that way. I mean, hell, we've seen them holding hands in the OP. Very Eureka 7, by the way, again, because yep. I've been watching Eureka 7 on lunch now, now that I'm working from home. Um, so that's been certainly something to know. Nice. How far How I, far are you? I have... I. I am up to episode ten. Oh, it's it's getting I'm good. Still, <laughs> it's getting good. I am still, I am still, or rather, I think I've just cleared the Renton's like not quite college hazing arc. <laughs> right. Yeah, that can be a thing for sure. I I have opinions on uh-huh. Eureka Seven, but if you want, if you want my you know opinion on it right now in very condensed, like you know, bite sized form, because this is still a listeners podcast, it's really good. But parts of it have not necessarily aged very well. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that's a discussion for a different time. Well, uh, that I think I've exhausted all my discussion points 
Shady, do you have anything else? Uh, nothing much else, really, no. Cool. All right, well, let's take it out. Oh, wait, then. so, oh, uh, Doc. Did we have. Oh. Did we have patron questions? You are quite right. Let's have a look. I'm so sorry. We, we had been doing those toward the beginning, which was good, and then me. Is things have, yeah, thing, things have been all... Why? Uh, no, the answer is no, we didn't. We don't! Actually. All the questions we had <laughs> okay. this, for this week were for yesterday. Mm. Well, we'll get to those next time. Next time. So let's round out the episode and do some ratings then. So, Doc, I'll let you go first. Uh, I'm going to give this episode... Um, I'm going to give it 4.25 uh, listens to the MBV album... Loveless out of five um, because of all the reasons I talked about. Like, I have great action, very, to me, very clear uh, sort of goals that the episode had that it achieved. We um, furthered arcs, furthered the main plot, got some world building. Great references that I think um, kind of, again, informed the story uh, that were a real treat, but... Um, I think didn't necessarily for me overpower it and I don't I don't necessarily think you have to know everything to like um and know the kind of behind the scenes stuff although it does I I do see where you're saying it it certainly enhances um enhances things and might give you a bit of foreshadowing that you wouldn't otherwise have but it all in all I thought Mm -hmm. um it was a really really good time so four uh and a quarter yeah I'm going to be curious as we go along, like how much more the show steeps itself in, you know, uh, its references to bands, because this is going to make me sound very old and this is kind of maybe its own talking point, but I really feel like I should elaborate on this further down the line when we have more of the show behind us, Mm -hmm. which is, Doc, I'm very sorry to say this, but you and I, we're old as fuck, mate. (laughs) We are, no no doubt. And, And there's a reason I'm bringing this up, because... This is something I also realized when I thought myself, holy shit, I actually really shouldn't be talking about any Final Fantasy VII spoilers. Because it's very easy for people our age to think to themselves, oh, I recognize this thing. Mm-hmm. But not everyone will, because what is the average age for, like, you know, anime viewer these days? Uh, or someone like, you know, what is the target audience for listeners, like, you know, in terms of that? Like, BBs. people, for example, who were, born, who were born in, like, 2002 are only turning 18, like, this year. Um... So, is it appropriate, therefore, for this particular show to be relying so much on references to bands that were well before when these kids were born? Man, fuck. Um, I hate that. I, Shadon, I I hate what you've just, like, 2002, I was 18 and graduated high school. (laughs) So now people born on that very moment are 18 and graduating high school. That makes me sick, deeply. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm so sorry for saying that, but that, that's why I'm bringing it up, though, because like, it's like with Final Fantasy VII spoilers, like, there's a very good chance that they have less of an idea than I do about these various bands. Like, it requires a very specific kind of knowledge to recognize, like, these references. Like, I have a friend for, who I've mentioned before who has, like, a vinyl library of over a thousand, tr- like, discs. Mm-hmm. He would know all of this shit off by heart. Yeah. But not to put it too uh, finely here, there aren't many people like him out there even amongst, like, people of our age, you know, or who have that kind of knowledge. This is why I said that, you know, in some way, again, as a joke and half as a truth, it feels like this episode was, uh, like, these references are being written from pub quiz questions. 
but not everyone's going to know the answers or to the, those. Uh, is that necessarily the the people that wrote the script to High Fidelity? Also that, <laughs> or possibly James Gunn. Yes. Um, I mean, but then again, that also worked for Guys of the Galaxy. Like that soundtrack was very much from the eighties, and people loved that. And indeed, maybe you know, like if it was more explicit on what these references were to, it might drive people to seek them out. Like, I don't know. It it's something I think that I wanted to have a look at further on. Like about to what point does a work of like homage like this go too far in a margin to where it's lost on the audience, but also can't be too explicit in what it's actually talking about to the point where we go, well, that's a thing I recognize. You know. I mean, we'll discuss that later anyway. I don't want to bog this uh, down too much. I feel like we need, as I say, much more of the show to pass before we can like really get into this meaty topic. But anyway, for me, I felt this was a really nice follow-up to the previous episode. I felt it made a lot of sense to finally be introduced to a faction of players who were actually on our hero side. And I think that it does, as I say, tie into the wider idea of like fan relationships, even amongst like, you know, people in the same peer group, player to player in this case. Um, I really liked all the conversations between the characters, like between Kevin and Echo. Like seeing them nerd out of each other was really, 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 really chill. Uh, Echo, sorry, Mew and Billin's conversations were also really enlightening. Like I, I like how it's establishing those roles, but also how even like Kevin and Billin, like again, they felt revived a little bit by what's going on, which. That seems to be the whole point of like what Echo and Moose Jane is. They're going to bring life back to the world, and they're even doing it for these two, which I think is a good starting point. Like, that's their own little victory in its own way. Um, it isn't, however, in my opinion, as good as episode two for a couple of reasons. One, I like the design of the ship and all that, but I I really do actually already miss, like, the head fuckery of the New Bowton sisters. Oh, like, yeah. That spooky toilet is really, really yeah. something. Uh, they felt like a genuine threat. Um, and, you know, like, also, like, more, like, stuff about Echo's character and stuff. Like, I felt like that was a bit better, but mm. I'm only saying mm. that very slightly. So, all in all, I will give this episode 3.75 dormitory room shaped like washing machines out of 5. <laughs> I feel like I should give it an extra point for just for, for that alone because that was such an image. Um, but hey. That was wild. We, we, we got what we got. All right. So, uh, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs, that brings us to the end of the podcast. What I will mention at this point is a couple of things. Just get some, you know, housework out of the way, all that kind of thing. Um, housekeeping, rather, I mean to say. So first off, uh, again, it would be remiss of me, it would be silly of me not to mention that, you know, we're currently in not the best of times, I won't even make light of it by cracking a joke about it. Uh, so I'm hoping that if you're listening to this, that you're all doing okay, you're all looking after yourselves, that your friends and family are safe, um, they're comfortable, they're getting by, they're not in any, any stress or any danger, uh, particularly if you happen to be working out in the public at the moment, for example, in a shop, or if you are a healthcare worker, um, thank you for doing what you do. Do take care of yourselves as best as you can. I understand that's not the easiest thing in the world, but that's what I hope anyway. Uh, and if otherwise you're not one of those people, that doesn't mean, of course, you and yourselves shouldn't still, like, you know, take care of yourselves as best you can, both, like, in terms of, hey, keep your exercise up, you know, keep in touch, and also, like, mentally and emotionally, keep in touch with friends and family and such. Other than that, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to support us financially, you know, give us a little bit of a tip here and there, you know, like, toss a tip to your player, um... You can do so. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Desho. Get yourself on there. Uh, we're currently opening up a couple of our higher benefits, uh, higher tier benefits to others. So even if you go on the $2 tier, for example, you can get involved in our second stream content on yesterday, which is going to be one of the more interesting anime that will be going out this season. I've still got a lot to talk about yesterday free. Um, 
So definitely do check that out and all the benefits that go with that. Um, if otherwise, you know, you're not currently able to support us financially or don't want to, that's totally cool too. What you can do if you'd like is you can also just, you know, drop us a rating, a like, subscribe, a follow, share, all the various social media buttons. If you can do that on wherever you may find this, be anchor.fm or Spotify or iTunes, that would be great. And otherwise, uh, Doc, where can people find you on the internet? I'm at the subtle doctor on Twitter. Please at me. Mm-hmm. You can also uh, find me at Shade and Tencent, and we also have a Twitter at Warrior Desho, of course. There will be polls going up for this episode within the next day or two after this comes out. Uh, do keep an eye out for them. I'd very much like to have your thoughts on some of the stuff we discussed, and also I'll crack some silly polls in there as well <laughs> while I'm at it. Otherwise, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you all again very much for listening. Uh, again, as before, do definitely take care of yourself, and this time more than ever, you know, look out for each other, look out for yourselves. Uh, make the best of it that you can do. It's not easy for all of us, of course, and certainly for some more so. But, you know, we'll get through this and we'll try and, for our part, you know, do our best just to continue cracking on, you know, making silly jokes, trying to get some, like, actual discussion and critique and analysis of the anime that we've got coming out. Um, so, yeah, we look forward to seeing you next week for listeners number four, uh, Teen Spirit. Uh, no smells like, you know, I mean... I said before to Doc off cast that I'm hoping that it ends with a boss fight against a giant floating baby chasing a $1 note. Maybe that won't happen, but who knows? We'll find out. But otherwise, uh, thank you very much for joining us this fine evening on Warrior Death Show. Uh, I've been Shaden, that's been Doc. And as we often say on the podcast, embrace your everyone to the ends of the universe. Good night. Shadon, why don't they just punch her off the robot? Excellent question. <laughs> Bring back the brothers.